Everybody find your place, say amen. amen. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. What about that? They just had the, the, the Lord's Supper, just had the last Passover initiating the Lord's Supper. He's just shared with them all the truth that he's going to share. And yet the pressure's getting on and the only time you find in your Bible Jesus ever sang a song is right here. And he tells them, he said, tonight all ye shall be offended because of me this night for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. You ought to underline that. I've never saw it in all the time I've read my Bible. He told them that he was going to go before them into Galilee after he is risen. We know he did on the day of resurrection. He said, go tell them I'm going. But he told them before he ever went to Calvary. He said, I'll go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Boy, he's bold, ain't he? Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he spake the more vehemently. I, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Father, we pray today that you'd help me to preach in the power of the Holy Ghost. Help me to be mindful of you. Help me, Lord, to get in whatever gear you want me in this morning. Help me to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I pray that everybody in here would mind you. I pray, Lord, that we would put our feet under the table of God. And, and Lord, go ahead and put our napkin tucked into our shirt. Get our fork in one hand and spoon in another. And God, may we be ready to feast on whatever you have for us. Lord, whatever it is. I know you've got a word for us, and I thank you for the song that uh, solidified it. Lord, and I just praise you and thank you. Lord, thank you for churning it in our heart this week. And Lord, please, uh, Lord, let, as it's been birthed in our heart, birth this truth and to every heart that's in this building, to those that listen by way of the podcast, listen later on down the road, we pray you get glory, and we pray that you get all the honor souls that might be saved through obedience to the word of God. We pray your will be done and help those hearts that's hurt. Help those hearts that need some help this morning. Those saints of the living God that need encouragement. We pray you'd help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. If the Lord would help us for a little while this morning, we're gonna preach on this thought, some gardens before Galilee. 
some places that we'll have to go through before we get to our Galilee. Mark chapter number 14 and other gospels and we find gardens that Jesus traveled through on his way to Galilee. He had told them in verse 28, he said, after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Think about this. There is in verse 32 through verse 34 or 42, there is what I would like to call this garden of Gethsemane. It is a garden of agony. Jesus has shared with the disciples. He's headed toward the cross. This is, again, the only time you find in your King James Bible that it says that Jesus actually sang a hymn. It encourages me, helps me remember what Job said back in Job 35 and verse number 10, that God giveth the songs in the night. In the dark times of your life, God will give you a song. This is a dark time, the pressure, the weight, the condemnation, all of sin being placed on a sinless Savior. Amen. No, never had guile in his mouth, but he's going to become sin. The weight of all of that is being pressed on him in this olive garden where they press the juice out of the olives, this garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is showing us in our text that when praise is at its lowest, when pain is at its highest, God will still give you a song. Hey, man. I mean, when praise is at its lowest and pain is at its highest, when the pattern is being complete, he's fulfilling. He's going to be the last Passover that's ever going to be gave. Amen. The cross is imminent and they sing a song and then he heads to the garden of agony. I call this the place of turmoil, the place of anguish. It's the place that the Savior had to trod. He prayed, the Bible said, vehemently. Isn't that what the scripture said? He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. It tells us that he prayed vehemently to the Father. He suffered in agony. He was in anguish. In fact, the Bible says that his sweat became, became drops of blood. So much tension, so much pressure uh, that the capillaries in his, his skin began to rupture. And instead of giving sweat, he gave blood. Now, I preached on that one time. You, If you wouldn't hear to hear it, sweat is a result of sin, and our Savior can't sweat. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If he sweats, it's blood, and it's pure. He, he is under the agony and the pressure of everything. Here we have in this garden, the garden of agony, this first garden that we see on the way to Galilee. He's told him, he said, when I'm risen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go before you into Galilee. But he's got to go through the garden of agony. Everybody here is going to, before we get to our Galilee, before we get to the sweet shores of deliverance, we're going to have a garden of agony. And in this garden, he is no doubt suffering from Satan. I 
I believe all the imps of hell, all the demons of hell, Satan himself is pushing on the Lord. We know that in the text. In fact, look in verse number 36. He's praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He's not praying in verse 34. He said, he's exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Here is the, the Savior who give life. He's fixing to lay down his life. He's praying in such a way. They said, Lord, everything's possible unto you. If it's possible, let the agony leave. Let me pray my way to Calvary. Don't let me die under the pressure right here. He's looking forward to the cross. The cross is going to bring mankind and God back in fellowship through the blood. But the agony of it all, the pressure of it all, the stench of our sin, every cuss word that we ever had, every wicked thought that we ever done every deed, everything that we anybody had ever done since the beginning of time is being pressured on the Lord right now. It describes his turmoil, his agony his sorrow more than we can possibly imagine. The guilt of my own sin, the guilt of my sin sometimes gets so much anguish on me. Things flash in my mind, things that I've failed God since I got saved but he was sinless. He had done no wrong and yet every bit of everybody's guilt, all of their sin and all of their shame is being dumped on him and pressured and it's pushing the juice the love, the love of God, the blood is being pushed out of his sweat glands. But truthfully, these gardens that he goes through is what me and you have to go through. Isn't that the way we feel sometimes? It seems like even though we know we're doing the will of God, even though we're trying to be faithful, we're trying to be consistent, we're trying to be persistent in witnessing to others, passing out tracts, trying to stay in tune uh, with, with heaven, trying to keep our life in step with the scriptures. But in the midst of our faithfulness, there has been moments, if we be honest, in the midst of our consistent efforts, in the midst of us having, uh, it feels like there's pressure on us, there's turmoil on us, there's anguish on us, and the more we try to dig in the word and the more we try to raise our family right and the more we try to pray and the more we try to watch it seems like anguish and agony and turmoil hey man listen I've been there and I'll have to admit if, if you're like me maybe you're not like me but there has been times when I'm in that garden of agony when I'm following the footsteps of the Lord when the pressure seems on when the guilt and the shame and every I feel like sometimes though in the towel. I feel like thinking, why, what is the use? And I'm sure, I'm sure as we watch the Lord, he said, Lord, if it's possible that this cup pass, every single person in this building has probably been to that place. I'm just trying to serve God. I'm trying to raise my family right. And it seemed like Satan and all of hell is coming against the Lord and the Lord is gonna pray in John 17, hey, what I've went through, they're gonna have to face not to the extent that I had, but Father, I want you to help them. I believe that is one of the reasons why he prayed what he prayed in John 17 because he knew what we would have to face. And the amen, trying to do the will of God will sometimes in this garden of agony get so strong from devil bombarding your life, from guilt crashing in on you that it almost make you, it almost tempts you to say, ma'am, what is the use, Lord? I, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. 
But that ain't the only garden. There's another garden. In, God, in Matthew and Mark 15 and then Matthew 26, 45 through uh, verse 68, there's a garden of Gabbatha. This is the place of judgment. This is where the trial is going to be. And in John 19 and verse number 13, it says, we find him, he's suffering not at the hands of Satan at the moment, but Satan is working through sinners. Boy, isn't that what we do sometimes? We, sometimes we feel like all of hell is coming against us. But then we get through that garden of agony. We get to a garden of adversity. And the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And sometimes it's not persecution from the enemy. Sometimes it's persecution from family. Sometimes it's persecution from friends. Sometimes it's just persecution brought on by our own stinking flesh. Our own stinking thinking sometimes will get us in a mess. But in, in this garden, this garden of Gabbatha, this place of judgment, the Lord's already been brought. Y'all, I'm not going to re-preach what I preached Wednesday. They've already came to him. They've got him. They took him over to Gabbatha. They take him to the place of judgment. And here he's suffering at the hands of sinners. Consider, about Consider who he's suffering. He's not just suffering from, from he's suffering from the disciples. He had already told them in Mark 14. He said, every one of you is going to be offended at me. Peter's the one that spoke, but they all agreed and chimed in. We'll go to death. We'll never turn our back. You ever have people like that? They said, man, I'm your friend to the end. I'm not a fair weather friend. I don't care how bad it gets. You can count on me. And then when the pressure gets on, and you get in that garden of adversity, the FBI couldn't find them. <laughs> His own disciples has turned on. Judas, I'm talking about, let's just talk about Judas. One that he had chosen, one of the 12, had betrayed him, Judas. Those who had, then you got the disciples, you've got Judas, you got them marching against him. All them that came out and arrested him. Then he's going to go before Pilate. Pilate's such a people pleaser. He knows, he says, he tells that whole crowd, he said, when I look at him, I find no fault in him. I'd like to say, amen, there is no fault to find. Pilate says, what is truth? I'd like to tell Pilate, you're looking at him. <laughs> amen. Amen. You're looking at truth, but he's he's going to face he's going to face uh, adversity through the disciples, uh, through uh, Judas. He's going to face it through that crowd that's marching and arresting him. Now he's going to be facing it even at Pilate at this very place, this garden of adversity. He's going to be crucified in just a little bit. But before he gets there, see, they're going to beat him down at Gabbatha. They're going to beat. He's going to be beaten by soldiers. He's going to be ridiculed by a crowd. He's going to be berated by the ones that he came to save. He just came unto his own, but his own received him not. He's going to be mocked. He's going to take a, a crown of thorns and, and place it on his head. Take a reed and beat those two to three inch thorns into his skull, brother. I, I mean, he's going to be facing. But, but truthfully, don't mean you face adversity at the hands of sinners. Don't me and you face adversity at the hands of saints. Don't me and you face adversity from family and friends. 
Here's what I think. Every single one of us, uh, we've been to the place that we just long for just a little bit of peace, just a moment of stillness. Lord, just give me a little bit of joy. God, I don't, I'm not asking you to make everything easy. Just give me a little bit of, give me a little bit of happy in the midst of everything that's happening. Give me just a little bit of joy in this journey to go on. I feel like everywhere I'm running into, I mean, Satan is attacking me. Now sinners are attacking me. Even folks that I thought my saints, my sinners, even people that I thought was, hey man, would always be with me. They're turning against me. But Jesus is going to pray in John 17 because he knows the gardens that he's went through, we're going to have to go through. There is a Galilee to look forward to. This ain't the end of the story. But the truth is, every one of us is going to have to face times of agony and times of adversity. We've all been there probably. I'm going to say haven't we? When adversity gets so great, you simply just don't even know what to do. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to have confidence in. When the ones you thought they were your friends have turned their back and stabbed you in the back. When the people you thought you'd always have with you go the other direction. When people you thought had the same standards and convictions all of a sudden change. When the winds of compromise sweep not just through, through people you could see uh, wavering, but people you couldn't even see wavering. But ain't that what Job said? Job said, man that is born in Job 14.1, man that is born of woman a few days and full of trouble. 1 Corinthians describes it like this, we're troubled on every side, and yet and we are perplexed, persecuted, cast down. That's what he said. Here's what First Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is the trial, as though some strange thing happened to you. Hey, if you live for God, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face affliction. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Has anyone in here ever felt like, have you ever felt like the trials of life would never cease, felt like adversity would never quit coming, felt like agony would never let up? Isn't there a place you would rather be at than the garden of agony and adversity? But the truth is, he tells us in John 15, verse number 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. He goes on to say in verse number 25, they, they hated him without a cause. Probably a lot of us, we brought the cause on ourselves. But they hated the Lord without a cause. And he said, don't marvel that they hate you. Hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you for following me. All that live godly will face persecution. But that ain't the only garden. We get over here in Mark chapter number 15. Look at verse number 22. They bring him. John tells us where they crucify him is the place they're going to bury him at in that same area of, of Golgotha, that not just Gethsemane, not just Gabbatha, but they, now he's in Golgotha. They're going to take him to the cross. They're going to crucify him. And in the same place that they're going to crucify him on Golgotha, in that same place there is a garden. And in that garden is going to be the grave where he's going to be buried at. And here, here, now this is one thing that blows my mind. See, we understand, we know every single person in here knows that Satan is against us. He's the adversary of God's people. He's against you. When you try to go forward, he's going to try to push against you. And that, that, that doesn't surprise us. But we also know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. We know Paul has already told us we've got to put on the arm of God. We're going to face agony. We're going to face adversity. There's going to be times when sinners and saints and friends and family and even our stinking flesh, not just the foes, but them that are close to you are going 
going to betray and turn their back on you. There's going to be times of adversity. But in Golgotha, it's a time of affliction. Here's what amazes. He suffered in the hands of Satan. He suffered at the hands of sinners. And he's suffering now at the hand of the sovereign. Look, look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 22. And they bring him unto the place called Gotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. Does this, seem, does this seem strange? Man, every time I read this, I think about this grandma, I, get, I, I think about, man, how much pressure was on the father. Every time a sacrifice from Abel's was offered and father is looking down from every lamb that's ever been offered. Every time on the day of atonement when those goats were brought in, every bullock that was ever offered, every turtle dove that was ever offered, it looks, he's looking at what his son's gonna have to endure. He's looking at a picture of the cross. When he looks down at all the formations around that tabernacle, they were formed in such a way, if you looked at it from an aerial view, it looked like a cross. When you looked at the holy place and the whole most holy place and the way that the furniture was lined up it looked like a cross everything for before time ever was he was foreordained to die before when man was created and, a, and his side was riven that a bride be given it was a picture of Calvary the father is hey man is seeing every single moment of time that he's created that his son is going to have to die and right now in this text, in Mark 15, is when it's happened. God, his very own father, is going to turn his back on him. God forsook God. He said, my God, my God. God incarnated in flesh, dying for your sin and mine, who became sin. That transaction was so holy when he said his soul was made an offering for sin. God turned the lights out. We couldn't even see it. But when the Lord said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, brother Jared? That was God turning his back on God. That had never been. Three and one, God had turned his back on God. The father turned his back on his son. You know why he did that? Because if he had not, hey man, Jesus, God in flesh, allowed himself to be forsaken. God the Father forsook God the Son, so you and I would never be forsaken. Oh, bless his name. It was here God, for the first time, would have to confront all of sin and judge it on Christ. Every bit of those turtle doves, every bit of the bullocks, every bit of the lambs had all been put on a spiritual credit card and it got cashed in on Jesus right then. All the debt had stacked up, the debt had stacked up, but not just from the past, from all the way to the future until time is no more. It had all had to be put on Christ at one time. The judgment fire of God had to be dealt with at Calvary. Wasn't any other option. Sin must be dealt with fully and finally. Justice must be served. God will never sidestep justice to give mercy. Now, I've been at the court a lot here lately, waiting on, waiting on a, a tenant issue that, that's having to be dealt with. And, and, brother, I've watched a judge, a nice judge. If I had broke the laws, them people had broke, 
and he had gave me that kind of mercy, I'd have shouted. One of them did lift his hand and say, Woo, I'd have praised God. But they have to sometimes set aside what, what could be served, not God. He, he gave full judgment on his son so that we could be a recipient of mercy. There's no other way. But you ever thought about this? It's strange sometimes and we think, man, God has the power to stop it in my life. Why am I having gardens of agony? Why am I having gardens of adversity? Why am I facing gardens of affliction? I don't feel like I'm just fighting Satan. I don't feel like I'm just fighting sinners and saints. I feel like, I'm, I feel like God himself is against me. Well, we ain't no better than Jesus. And sometimes we think it's strange when God allows tribulation and affliction to happen in our lives. I, I, I don't know why. I, I can't explain why. All I know is all things work together for good to them and love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. But don't be surprised. If, if the father judged his son to, to provide the perfect plan of redemption for mankind, don't think it's strange when things happen to us so that God can move us into his perfect will and plan. Sometimes, hey, all, all the storms in your life are not because of sin in your past. It may be not even because of sin in the present. It might be because just God wants to do a course correction to get you down the path that God wants you to go on. Sometimes, if we'd be honest, we wouldn't go through the doors God wanted us to if we had every sunshine and rainbows. And God has to put the pressure on to get us headed in the right direction. If he did, hey man, God worked the eternal purpose for mankind through pouring judgment on his son. Why in the world do we think we're above the Lord? Somebody say amen. We're going to face agony and adversity. But that ain't the end. These gardens that we're going to have to face. We're going to have to face places of agony, places of adversity. It feels like everything's pushing the opposite direction. There's going to be times you feel like, God, are you against me or for me? But I promise you, everything that God's ever done, he's done for you. He's not done to you. Look at Job's life. If you look at the old people in the Bible, all those old great giant patriarchs, mighty men of God, most every one of them messed up with a woman. But Job didn't. God, instead of, instead of God, hey man, sometimes God drops a cross on your back just to keep you, course correction, just to keep you from getting crossed up in sin. God allows agony to happen sometimes, affliction to happen, adversity, not because he don't like you, not because he don't love you, but because he loves you and he's trying to push you in the right direction. Everybody, y'all with me today? It's a fiery trial. I got, I got a good knife in my pocket. A knife that don't have a temper won't hold an edge. God has to make us sharp. He sharpens us. Amen, through the fiery trials that he allows us to go through. He works us. He molds us. The word of God is like a hammer. And you, a hammer sharpens. How does iron sharpeneth iron? Because when you stick that iron in a fire and you place that iron on that anvil and you take that iron hammer and go to beating that iron out, I'm going to tell you, God, that word works in your life and God's doing something in your life. He knows exactly where you're at, whether it be a garden of agony, adversity, whether it be affliction, whether it's from Satan himself and all the demons of hell, from sinners, family, friends, and saints, 
from, from church members or, or, or maybe because God just allowed it to happen. And you think about the story of Job. Let me just remind everybody. It was God that told the devil, have you considered my servant Job? It's as if God provoked the devil. Are y'all listening to this preacher? God's doing things sometimes that we don't understand. I can't explain it. All I know is, according to Mark chapter 14 and verse number 28, when he's risen, he's promised to Galilee. There's going to be, there's going to, there's going to be Gethsemane's in our life. There's going to be Gabbatha's in our life. Thank God, I, I pray there's no Golgotha's in our life. He already took our cross. But I will tell you this, we're going to have to bear the cross. We're going to have to bear the approach. We're going to have to go to him outside the camp. And we do have a cross to bear. And when we can't get a crown without that cross, everybody say amen. But thank God there's a Galilee. I wonder why he said Galilee. Why did he tell them right here? He said, I go before you in the Galilee. Because he knew they were going to be denying him. He knew they were going to be forsaking him. He, he knew he had already been betrayed. He knew that the pressure of the mocking, the beating, the judgment. He knew everything that they was going to have to see. And everything, the, the fear that was going to grip their heart. The overwhelming push of the crowd. All, all the mocking, the reviling. Everything, the, the torture that they were going to see the Son of God have to go through. They, hey man, he knew what we was going to have to face. He tells them, he said, they's coming to Galilee. I do know this. In Mark chapter 24, verse number 28. Kind of, let's look over here in, in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 7. He told, he told them, he said, I'm gonna, when after I'm risen, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. And he says, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. In other words, he said, the death at the end, the burial in the end, I'm going to get up, and when I get up, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I'm going to go before you. If I go before you, that means you're coming after me. Are, are y'all with me? All right. Now, look at Mark 16 and verse number 7. He said, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him as he said unto you. He done told y'all in Mark 14 and verse 28. He said he was going to do it. So make sure he said in verse number, he says, I'm going to go before you. He goeth before you in the Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. When you're in that garden of agony, in that garden of adversity, and you're in that garden of affliction, sometimes you don't even think you can feel Jesus, see Jesus, or hear Jesus, but there's a Galilee coming. Somebody say amen. There's a Galilee coming. But then if you were to flip over to John in chapter number 21, we're going to see the Galilee. John, the beloved, he's going to give us an insight into it like none of the rest of them did. And in John chapter 21, he tells us about the Galilee experience. Now, disciples, y'all know the story in John chapter number 21. The Bible says... There were together Simon Peter, that's the one that denied. Thomas, that's the one that doubted. Nathaniel, he's the one most discounted. The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, that's the do-gooders. 
That's the one the mama says, I want mine to have the left and the right hand. They better than everybody else. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And John's writing it. So here, here, here's what you, you've got a crowd of them. Oh, a half of the disciples has said, I'm going to go backward. Now, the reason that the disciples are going to go, you think, you think he's done showed up in the upper room. He's done showed up another time for Thomas. You think, you think they'd be going to Galilee. Hey, he said he is going to go here uh, before us. Well, let's go to Galilee. But that ain't, they're going to be going for the wrong reasons. They're going to Galilee backwards. But Jesus is still going to show up to move them forward. Here's what I'm trying to say. This, all that I've said is to get you to this point right here. If you miss this, you missed the whole thought of my message. Gardens before Galilee. Every single person, you're in one of them gardens probably. Affliction, adversity, agony. And if you're not, you're between them and you're shouting the victory. Hallelujah. Maybe you're singing a song on the way to one of them. I don't, I don't know, really know what's going on in your life, but I can promise you this. If you hadn't been, you will be. And in John chapter number 21, he told them, he said, I'm on, remember, he said, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. He told them at the resurrection, told the women evangelists. <laughs> he told them women that were going to spread the good news. Here's what he said. He said, he said go, go tell my disciples and Peter. As if to say, Peter, I know. now most of the time when he dealt with Peter and Peter had failed and gotten the flesh, he called him Simon. He referred to him that fleshly name. But he tells in Mark chapter 4, he, he, 16, he uses the word Peter as if to say, I know you failed me, but I have a future for you. Amen. I, I, know, you, I know you denied me, but don't think I can't still use you. Now, every single person in here, when we get in those different gardens, we don't always act right. We don't always do right. And we may go to that place that the Lord told us to go, but we ain't there with the right spirit. We don't have the right mindset. We came to do what we wanted to do. We might be going backwards. But the Lord will still show up because he loved you and died for you. And he's going to take those who are going backwards and he's going to show up one service. It may be today, it may be tonight, it may be next week, it may be somewhere down the road, but he's going to show up to move you forward because that's his will and purpose and plan in your life. Every one of the gardens we're going to have to go through, but there's a Galilee waiting on us. Now, I'm not going to re-preach what I've already preached about Galilee, but let me just say, let me point out quickly, the subject that's going to be dealt with around this campfire in just a minute is going to be the subject of love. The subject is, do we love Jesus? Now think about this. Here they are out in Galilee. They got their clothes off. Peter's naked. He's out there naked. First of all, why would you go fishing naked? Anyway, he's naked out on the boat with a bunch of men. That's weird. Somebody say amen. Weirdo. Amen. I mean, he is backed up. Somebody help me up. Troy, say amen. I need a Marine in here to say amen. I mean, they in a mess. They, wait a minute. Did you not forsake them? Did you not already turn your back and follow Jesus on all that, that you used to do? And now you're going back. He told you to go to Galilee. You didn't go over, hey man, shouting and rejoicing. You're there for the wrong reason. You're there for the wrong attitude. But the Lord's going to do what he always said he'd do. 
because you can count on him even if he can't count on us. Can I say amen right there? Thank God that's the way it is. Who knows what we're going to face in our life? Jesus does. But we don't. But I can tell you there's a better day coming. It, the last chapter wasn't Golgotha. Thank God. And John chapter number 21, the last chapter is Galilee. There's going to be a Galilee, Brother Jerry. John may have, it's just a little side note. I think John went, because this is John the beloved. You may say I'm taking up for him. I think John went for accountability. He, he's, he's that one that kind of holds everybody else accountable. You say, well, preacher, you know, there ain't no, God don't have any special clique. Well, he, he, he did have three, James, John, and Peter. Now you say, preacher, you, you're trying to say the Lord clique. Well, here's what I am going to say. If you want to be close to the Lord, he'll let you be. That other crowd didn't want to be. They did want to be. So they the green berets of the disciples and they get to go on the Mount of Transfiguration. They get to go a little bit further. All I know is I believe John went there just to hold Peter accountable. He wanted to be for accountability. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's messed up and back, backed up and sideways too. But see, truth is, Peter had the right spirit about it. He didn't mind accountability. He's on the boat. But if we'll be honest today, we hate accountability. Here's what our kids will use on us. What You do what you do because you don't trust me. No, hold up. Don't try to substitute trust for accountability. Everybody needs accountability. That's why we tell our, you know, if we used to tell our boys when they was young and them and younger, younger, you know, we say, look, we're going to look at your phone. We need to look at your phone. Is, what that is, that ain't trust. That ain't got nothing to do with trust. That's, kind of, that's accountability. God wants us to be accountable. We need accountability partners. Somebody or say amen. You need a man sometimes to be accountable with other men, and so do likewise women. Is everybody on? I, look like, I think I'm preaching to a crowd. Are, are y'all with me today? I believe old John's on there for accountability. Maybe he's there because he's backed up. All I know is, for whatever reason, this crowd isn't there at the right place, but for the wrong reason. They're at the right place, right place, but they're looking for fish instead of fellowship. They're worried about gnats instead of getting near the Lord. But watch what happens. Jesus steps up on the shore. Now, y'all know the story. He's going to say, have you any meat? And the truth is, if we're fishing backwards, we might get a fish here and there, but we're going to come up empty-handed every single time. God knows the fishing holes. Amen. You see, Galilee is going to be something special. Look at verse 5. Jesus said to them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast a net on the right side. And you shall find. Wait a minute. Did he have one of them little machines? You know that you can see them fish swimming. No, he didn't have them. He's the one made the fish. Y'all say amen right there. Hey man. Matter of fact, I've been on one of them boats. When you see them fish, that don't mean nothing. They swimming. 
You ain't catching nothing unless you, amen. And he said unto them, cast a net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Wait just a minute. These are fishermen. They've been fishing all night came up empty. Because we can go fishing with God, you will always have a catch. God's going to try to move them forward. They're trying to do it on their own. They're going backwards and they're coming up empty. God said, you cast it on the right side. Thank God for the right side of life. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, y'all know who that is, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Why? Because Galilee is a place of remembrance. They remember the last time this happened. I guarantee you they remember Luke chapter number 5. They remember the last time they come up empty handed and they throw the net over and they were so much that it filled two boats and the, and the net broke. That's a miracle in itself. You can't get no net. You can't get no net that's broke to hold no fishes. God let them fill two boats and they began to sink. Boy, it's, it's, it's calling to remembrance. John said, it is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girded his fisher coat unto him, for he was naked. In case y'all thought I lied, there it is, verse 7. And he cast himself in the sea. He's excited. But before he meets the Lord, he's got to put some clothes on. Somebody say, amen. It's a place. Amen. That's right. It's a place of remembrance. It's a place of reassurance. See, here's what they said. He had already told them in, John, in Mark 14, 38. Mark 14, 28. He said, I'm, when I'm risen, I'm going to go before you in Galilee. When he rose, he reminded them. He said, tell my disciples that they go, I, go to Galilee. I'm going to go before them and make sure you tell Peter. So he's told them twice. And the Bible says, when they get there, he reminds them of what he'd done. When you get to Galilee, it's going to be a place of remembrance. Amen. He's going to remind us. And here's what it does. It reassures you that God will always do what he said he is going to do. And if he answered in the past and filled your net last time, he can fill your net this time. And if he showed up in your midst of your darkness last time, he can show up again in your darkness this time. If he did it in the garden of agony, the garden of adversity, if he did it in the garden of affliction, he can do it now. Are y'all with me? It's going to remind them some things. This was the same sea, Sea of Tiberias, same thing, Sea of Galilee. He showed up last time on, when they were in a storm and he walked on what they thought was going to drown them. He's done calm the waters. He's done calm the storm. He's walked on what they thought was going to take them under. This is a place of remembrance. He said, Galilee will remind them of who I am. And old John said, I know who that is. That's the Lord. It's a place of restitution. Look at verse number seven. Therefore, that disciple that, that, loved, that, that Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. See, watch this. He's going to get them over there. Notice what he's going to say. He's going to say, come and dine, verse number 12. Peter jumped in, put his coat on, jumped in, swam to the shore, but he halted a little bit. We know that he made it there because getting the boat was going too slow, so he was going to swim to Jesus. But then all the guilt began, all the shame and all that stuff. And so he turned, turned, turned around started counting fishes. He had 153. There's a whole lot of people who can tell you different things about them numbers. 
I don't know if I believe any of it, but here is the point. He was more caught up with counting fishes than he was crawling up to Jesus. And, and, and then the Lord says, come and dine, in verse number 12, and the disciples durst, and none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? They knew who it was. Then Jesus cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Is that not what he said? Now, let me just say this. This is a place uh, of remembrance. This is a place of restitution. Peter, I know know you denied me, but I still got something for you to do. Peter, I know you've been warming by the wrong fire, but I've still got a fire that'll fire you up. Peter, I I know you've been caught up with fishes, but let me tell you how important fishes are. You've caught 153, and I don't need none of them to feed you. I've got fish already on the grill. Hey, man, that's the best fish. I'd like to have a piece of that fired fish. Amen. That's fish that's never been tainted by tainted water. I don't believe they ever swam in the ocean or in the sea. I mean them was fish that Jesus made to fry. Hey, that's a fish fry right there. And he gave them husk puppies and fish. Well, bread and fish. here's here's, Here's what the Bible says. He says come and die. Wait just a minute. You denied, you even, you even knew the Lord. You denied you were one of his disciples. And yet he's going to let you sit down and eat with him again. Y'all have went backward. You didn't even come where I told you to come with the right idea. You came with the wrong intentions. You went backward, but I'm still going to let you eat at my table. How many times have we come in the church doors and the come and dine signs on the reverse side, looking back in here, go out them doors, turn around, look up. We've come in here and we've come to, and Lord lets us eat at his table and we went backward all week, but God will let us come in and slide our feet under his table just, hey, man. God help us. My, my, mama, my mama cow, she used to never let us eat unless we cleaned our hands and cleaned our mouth. We couldn't sit down unless we washed our hands and washed our mouth. And I'm going to tell you, we come in with a dirty mouth. Y'all might as well say amen. Got a dirty mind, got dirty hands and dirty feet, been doing dirty things. And Lord let us come in and sit down at his table. And by the time grace tablecloth covers us, we're as clean as the day we got saved. Man. And it's good to be one of his children. Amen. He invites us to come and die. Watch what happens. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them. Y'all do, y'all do see that? Cometh. He just keeps coming and he just keeps giving and giveth. Fish likewise. This is the third time. You think after the first time they'd been fired up and ready and doing right. You think after the second time Jesus showed up, hey man, when the doors are shut and the windows are shut and he just appeared, you think they'd hey got things right. And he showed them his wounds in his hand, told Thomas to stick your finger in the stick your hand in my side. He showed them the resurrected Christ. But they ain't how many times has God showed up in our life and we still go backwards? Watch what happens. Watch what happens. So when they had dined, this is a place of restitution. This is a place of reunion. They're going to get back together with Jesus. They're going to eat with him again. They're going to sit down with him again. 
He meets them. He re, he re, he reminds them. Uh, he, man, he he re, he's reunifying with them. He he is going to restore them. He he's doing it all right here around the same place. Hey, man, where they had a storm in their life, the same place where they come up empty, the same place when they thought they were going down. He'll show up. I'm so glad he does. And he's already there waiting on them. He was there before they got there. See, sometimes we look at the text and we say, well, Jesus shows up. Well, the truth is, he had already said Mark 14, Mark 16, he's going to be there before them. They just didn't recognize him. But what he's going to do, brother Jamie, is when he shows up on our shore, when we finally get to that Galilee, we finally get to go to that place of reunion. It is a place of reunion, ain't it? Always going to be a place of reunion. Amen. Lord, help me not to get ahead of myself. It's going to be a place of reunion. That great reunion day is going to reveal some things. It's going to be a revealing day, a reunifying day. Here's what it's going to remind us of. That all the storms of life cannot compare to the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's what Romans says. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present life can all not worthy to be compared unto the glory which shall be revealed. He's going to reveal some things on that reunion day. When we finally get to that Galilee, when we get to that place that he's promised, that he's went before us, when we get to that place, thank God, where there is no more storms. And there is, hey, man, he reminds us that everything that we ever had to face, all the gardens that we ever went through, they're past, they're over now. You're finally at the destination. I told you I was going to meet you at. Boy, ain't you glad one day we're going to get to arrive where he's already at. Amen. That great reunion day. Preached on that one day. There's, it's going to be the loudest reunion. It's going to be the longest reunion. And it's going to be the Lord's people. Amen reunion. But it's going to be a time of refreshing. See, when you get to Galilee, it's going to be a place of refreshment. He said, come and dine. God's going to have some bread for you. He's going to have some food for you. One day, one day, the Lord's going to step out on a cloud and he's going to say, come up hither. One day, the trumpet of God shall sound. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That long, loud, hey man, Lord's reunion is going to happen in the middle of the air. And once we're there, guess what, y'all? Guess what? We're going to be reminded. God's going to reveal to us that everything that we ever went through was worth it all. And not worthy to even be compared. Can't even stack up. Not worth all the suffering we had to do are not worthy to be compared. Not even even in the same category of the glory that's going to be enjoyed by us. Nothing we face is, we don't face near what he faced, but nothing we could ever face in this life will ever compare to the glory that we're going to get to enjoy. Nothing. He's going to reveal it to us one day. Boys, it's going to be a place of refreshment too. In, in Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride, and the bride hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints and it saith unto me, right, blessed are they that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb and he said to them, these are the true sayings of God. It'll be a refreshing time. We'll get to dine with Jesus and according to the book of Luke, he's going to gird himself and come and serve us. Man, that's an amazing thing to me. And by, by hey, it's, it's going to be a place of 
reunion. It's going to be a place of refreshment. It's going to be a place of restoration. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Revelation 21, God said he's going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. There shall be no death, no sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Amen. Amen. And he sat on the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And every time I get to read in Revelation 21, I get to thinking about there is no more sea. That sea is where the Bible says he buried your sin in the depths of the sea. There's no more burying place for sin. Amen. The sea represents storms. Hey, that's where storms come from. There'll be no more storms in your life. Sea represents separation of land masses. There'll be no separation in your life. There'll be no more sea, Brother Jared. What a blessed thing. Man, I'm telling you, God took my sin and buried them in the depths of the sea, put up a buoy with a sign in it, says no diving devil. Amen. I mean, they'll never be brought up again, but there won't even be a burying place for sin because sin will be no more. Man, we'll get to be with Jesus forevermore. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm telling you by authority that I have. So here's what I'm saying, child of God. We may have to go through and visit some gardens of affliction and agony and adversity. But rest assured, someday we're going to get to meet him where he already is. One day... Where he's went before us. Did he not say, I go to prepare a place before you, that where I am there, you may be also? We've got that same assured promise. Just like they had. We might not be headed there, moving forward, but God will come by every once in a while, send a little bit of adversity, allow a little bit of affliction, allow some things to happen in our life to get us back course corrected. Here's what I want to say, church. Different being message I know I've preached a long time. Here's what God wants out of us. He wants us to stay faithful in the midst of agony. He wants us to stay faithful. When you think about throwing in the towel, don't quit. Satan wouldn't fight you if you were going his way. He wouldn't fight you if you wasn't trying to do right. So just stay faithful. When you get to the place of affliction and, and, and it seems like sinners and saints and everybody else is turning against you, stay faithful. When sometimes you think the sovereign, the God of heaven is turned against you, he ain't doing things to you, he's doing things for you. Stay faithful. Because it ain't always going to be Gabathas and it ain't always going to be Gethsemane's and it's not going to be Golgotha's. One day it's going to be Galilee. One day on the sweet shores of deliverance, God, hey man, will tell, welcome us home and he'll tell us come and die. And we'll be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't worry about having the right clothes to wear. You're going to be clothed in white linen, clean and white. Don't worry about being cleaned up. You're going to have a glorified body. Don't worry about you getting a place to sit. I believe everybody has a name tag on their white robe. Everybody has a name plate on their seat. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'm going to get help out of what I believe. That's what I believe. I, I, I do believe. I know every one of us has got a white horse because we're going to be coming back in a little while after that and riding with him. Amen. And I'm going to have a white horse, and I'm going to ride it, and his name's going to be Stonewall Cletus Jackson, and I don't care what nobody says. It's going to I don't have to have a saddle. I have to have, hey man, I ain't rode a horse in a long time, but I'll be able to ride that one. It'll be a supersonic horse too. Travel at the speed of thought. 
Amen. Man, I'm talking about we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to travel like he travels. Are y'all with me today? Brother, until then, sister, until then, there's going to be times and places of agony, places of adversity, places of affliction. But just know this, you can rest assured, if he ever brought you through one, he can bring you through the next one. And he's done went before us. There is a sweet shore of deliverance. And we're going to crown the next curve, top the next hill, somewhere just right down. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week. But for God's sake, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel and don't quit. Let's all stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed.